guys, and welcome back to this week's episode of Group Therapy. I'm one of your hosts, licensed clinical social worker, Kristen Gingrich. I'm licensed psychologist, Dr. Kristen Casey. I'm licensed psychologist, Dr. Jessica Rapin. And I'm licensed psychologist, Justin Michael Pooter. <laughs> I mean, that's my name. <laughs> Shut it. Stop. Like the dramatic. No, it is. It is. But you've never introduced yourself like that. That was great. Are we okay? Are we okay? I can't use my full name because I drank a Celsius today. I'm just. You guys were fighting in the group chat. You're switching it up. This is so unpredictable. Like I can't handle it. Like it's giving like unstable childhood. No, when I I have a Celsius, anything's possible. That's something. Something's gonna be possible. Well, this week we are talking all about challenging the mental health misconceptions and stereotypes. So settle in, take a seat, and welcome to group therapy. But before we dive into all of that and witness Justin and myself, our Celsius journey tonight, because we are on the struggle bus, uh, K10, just ignore it. Um, We wanted to go back to the reflection question from last week's episode where we just wanted to know what are your thoughts on CBT? So going through the responses, there were a ton of them. Let's see what you guys had to say. Someone said that they preferred DBT. Mm-hmm. Someone did mm-hmm. say it is better than ABA, which I will give that to them. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it just goes, no, thank you. <laughs> At least they were polite in their response. Yeah. yeah. Good, ba- yeah. good boundaries. Yeah. Um, someone said my clients call it clinical gaslighting. I know we talked about that. I think it's overhyped. It's far more advertised. Some mm-hmm. said it can be useful when used appropriately. Okay. It has its place in the field. Mm-hmm. Someone just goes, not a fan. Okay. Valid. Someone goes, I like it sprinkled in, but no worksheets, please. Oh, gosh. Okay. Love You're either that. pro or con worksheets. Yeah, I feel like I feel like it takes a special person to want to actually do the worksheets. Mm-hmm. Some people love it. Oh yeah, we're dedicated to clients that love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it gives structure when it needs mm-hmm. to be. So, but this week we're all talking about the misconceptions and stereotypes of mental health. What is what is your like the stereotype that like? irritates you the most when it comes to mental health so many (laughs) i like i feel like i'm going through the archive right now yeah like the top the top one for me is like people with borderline are primarily attention seeking like i just Uh, it's like it just drives me crazy to think about that it's like anyway that's my i'm not gonna go off yeah coming from working in community mental health where i worked with lots of severe and persistent mental illness a lot of for me I think my number one is that anyone with schizophrenia is like violent and dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is probably like one of my top. Yeah. Yeah. I think common in dude world is that you're just weak or lack mm-hmm. discipline. Mm-hmm. True. I just hear yeah. that all the time still. Yeah. KBI my my top that came to mind was kind of like yours, but I was thinking it more from the perspective of like when mass shootings happen, people are like, Oh, it's a mental illness problem. Or like on crime shows, it's like, you know, the murderer Mm. always has some type of mental illness, which Mm -hmm. same thing, you know, that, that violence component, but kind of the opposite. 
Mm-hmm. Well, it's always seems to be the fallback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it just perpetuates like, like everything that we said, it perpetuates a narrative that's just like not true. And then people start to believe it. And mm-hmm. that's scary, you know, like oh. for people who maybe aren't well versed in mental health, or maybe they don't know anybody with a mental illness, or maybe they just don't like to talk about it. They might have these preconceived notions and then they meet people in, in life. Right. And then, Maybe it's just hard to connect because of those biases and stereotypes, which is why I'm so happy we're talking about it. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and if we rewind a little bit, right, to a couple episodes ago where we talked about mental health in movies and TV, right? Mm-hmm. Every mm-hmm. single way mental health is depicted in the media is always a stereotype. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I shouldn't say always. That's a that's assault. But, like, it is... Frequently, mm-hmm. a stereotype mm-hmm. or um, or that piece, because that's the only way they know how to explain it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely think about that a lot, and I think especially in media or even just like with social media, or if I'm reflecting back on you know conversations maybe I had with people in high school before I really know more about knew more about mental health, like the stereotypes usually most often come from like maybe one or two symptoms, but then they're just like Mm -hmm. taken as the only symptom. Like I think of like depression and people think Mm -hmm. of the person like that can't get out of bed that Mm -hmm. is not functioning, which yes, for many people with depression, that is their reality. But if that's the only way people stereotype depression, then Mm-hmm. You know, they don't believe people when they say, well, I'm depressed. And it's like, how are you depressed? You, you know, go mm. to school, you go to work. Um, I don't know if any other things kind of come to mind when you think of like stereotypes of certain illnesses. Yeah. When people think of depression, they don't think of the stand up comedian or gifted writer or, right. you know, any, yeah. any of these other possibilities. I mean, I think, I think like Jess is saying, there's a couple of symptoms that are just exaggerated, you know, not that the person's exaggerating them, but you know, other people just see those couple of things. Like I think a lot of people focus on like functional impairment, like, Oh, if they could still go to work and still go to school, they must not be struggling. Right. And they might be struggling a lot. Um, Well, and, and even like Justin, I know we've talked about this, but just OCD, it, like there's just a like this misconception that it's about being neat and organized mm-hmm. when Always. the reality is it is so much deeper than that. And yeah, that can be a piece of it, but mm-hmm. like it's so much deeper and, you know, can be very scary for mm-hmm. many people um, because of those intrusive thoughts and, and things like that, that, you know, and then you go into that misconceptions and, and whatnot. And when we talk about what those intrusive thoughts are, so for some individuals with OCD, they can be violent um, mm-hmm. and harmful, but that doesn't mean that that person is going to act on them. Mm-hmm. Right? right. And this misconception that just that because you have them, you must be a terrible person. Mm-hmm. You must be, you must be a violent person when that is not the case for most people who have them. Right. Right. Yeah, definitely. Obviously I was shared about having that be my main subtype that I have is harm OCD. And for, for a lot of people out there, I know I was giving the example of people thinking it's like a weakness or again, there's mm-hmm. something 
really sick about you or something like that. It's like a lot of it is just pure ignorance. And we yeah. do this. Like I'm, I'm, I don't blame the masses of people, but often we look from our own perspective. And so when something doesn't yeah. make sense through our own perspective, a lot of times we want there to be a simple answer. And again, I know I'm kind of making fun of the dude world, but I see dudes do this a lot. They'll like be like, well, you know, you just got to wake up in the morning and have a routine and just make sure you're exercising. Like we want a simple answer. I think the unfortunate thing about like many things in life in general, but also mental health, there aren't simple answers. Like I didn't, mm -hmm. I can exercise a lot. Do, do I feel like it helps my OCD? I do. I think there's research to back that as well. Like frequent movement and exercise can help with a lot of things, but it's not to say that when I exercise, I have no OCD. I still have intrusive thoughts. Mm -hmm. It's still there. But this is just, again, people who have never experienced these like wild, disturbing thoughts out of nowhere. If that's an experience you haven't had, how can you relate? And again, mm -hmm. I have sympathy for you because mm -hmm. I know what that feels like when someone's describing something that I just, I've never experienced. Or I'd be like, mm -hmm. that sounds almost weird to me mm -hmm. but i think this still exists until you have enough conversations with people openly about mental health and you're like oh my cousin has this or i mm -hmm. listen to a podcast on that i think again education information is always the way to break some of the stigma mm -hmm. oh yeah and i think too like a reminder that i have to tell a lot of my friends and family and and even like just between me and my colleagues, I mean, em empathy, when we think about empathizing with someone, understanding isn't necessarily required. You might not understand what it's like. Mm. I mean, a lot of times you probably won't, like to your point, Justin, right? But just trying to imagine what it might be like for that person um, and just trying to like put yourself in their shoes and all of that, you know, that's also important. It does help. Even if you don't understand, you might not get it. It's not the point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Justin, listen to you talk and kind of the weakness and, you know, if you've never been in somebody's shoes, I think another misconception I hear a lot is like mental illness is a choice. So like when I think of things like, well, why don't you just get out of bed when you're depressed or like <laughs> working with eating disorders, like just eat like and people that have never experienced it actively think these people are like choosing Mm. Like not to do things, not understanding how difficult, you know, getting out of bed is for people with severe depression or like, you know, mm. social anxiety. Well, you know what you mean? You can't go to school like, you know, mm -hmm. people there just just go to school. It's not that hard. And, you know, then comes judgment with the tone and what's communicated. Mm -hmm. But that's another one that comes to mind of a misconception. That's a good one. Mm -hmm. and, and Jess, I think you hit the nail right on the head there. Right. All of these stereotypes, these misconceptions, these things come from people who have never experienced it. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. where it comes from. And that's and and usually it's from coming from people who've really never experienced a mental health struggle. Because mm -hmm. even I have never experienced a hallucination in my life. But because I have experienced severe depression and severe anxiety at times in my life, I can empathize that something that is impacting you so much is really hard. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is where a lot of this comes from is 
is from people not being educated or unwilling to sit in a space to hear about it and 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 mm-hmm. listen and have that time in that space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would think if you cope differently, like just say we all have anxiety, all four of us, and just say we all cope differently. And maybe one of us says, oh, I do this. Like I, I run, I do all this stuff. And for me, my anxiety is so low. I'm totally cool with it. And maybe for me, I'm, I'm not big with exercise. So I have to find something else. And that person says, oh, you know, just exercise. I, I'm able to deal with it. You should be able to, to as well. But then you really overlook all the barriers for everybody, mm-hmm. you know, because anxiety could be unique in its presentation. And for some people, it's really difficult to like find strategies that work really well. So just if you're experiencing a mental health issue, you know, for our listeners out there, you might experience depression or anxiety and not everybody's going to cope with it the same way. You know, mm-hmm. you might be able to go to school and function and, and some people might not be able to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. People get frustrated by biology of like just accepting <laughs> its existence. But I'm also a believer you can't ever completely level people's environmental factors. Like it's, it's impossible. Like cultural factors, you know, school, work. I mean, every you can't. Like even in twin studies, it's as close as it gets, but you still have different parental effects. Like you can't level the environmental factors. But p- exactly to your point is people forget that. And then because you can't see biology, mm-hmm. you, it's just hard to accept. And I know all everyone listening, all of us as therapists know, when you sit with someone that has just a real biological depression and they come to you and you're going through your checklist as one does like, Hey, what are we doing right now? Like what are some strategies you put in place? And you're going down the list and you're like, damn, they're doing this. They're doing that. They're doing this. They're doing that. And you're like, shit, like, (laughs) but what it opens it up to you in psychotherapy is that you got to get creative and look at so many other factors, but it's not simple as much as we want it to be. Being like, if you do A through Z, that means you just can't have depression. I wish that were so. It's not so. It's Mm -hmm. mental health and mental illness is far more complex. Mm -hmm. Justin, you saying it's not that simple made me kind of think of that's probably why stereotypes kind of have run so rampant because it gives a like simplified picture of certain disorders. So, you know, it is not that simple, but it's a lot easier to conceptualize going back to what KBI said, people with schizophrenia as violent and dangerous. And then let the media run with that, let, you Mm -hmm. know, TV shows, things like that, because, you know, stereotypes beyond mental health, you typically not all the time are based in some type of truth. And it's just been, you know, exacerbated, but it's easier to be like, oh, dangerous rather than understanding the nuance, taking the time to listen to the voices of people with lived experiences. Um, yeah, I don't know. You just saying like it's not simple made me realize that's probably why stereotypes keep being perpetuated years and years and years out, even though I think we're doing better at talking about mental health. Yeah, it makes me wonder, thinking about maybe when you first started studying psychology or what got you in this field to today like what's changed gotten better gotten worse do you think in general yeah or i mean specific examples because i mean we're painting a picture of like why these stereotypes exist have things changed i think so i i think we're i think we're on our way 
Mm-hmm. Um, I I can definitely see a huge shift in the, the stereotype of going to therapy, especially I know we talked about this, um, I think in probably in some of our beginning episodes, um, you know, COVID really changed the game with therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and people, mm-hmm. I think COVID really changed the game with people talking about think more common diagnoses such as depression and anxiety. I mm-hmm. think I think that really changed the game um, of, of allowing us to talk about it more because people who never had experienced those mental health disorders were starting to experience symptoms, whether or not it was fully clinical or whatever. I mean, I had people in my life who, you know, were always calm, cool and collected and were experiencing anxiety for the first time in their life outside of just like normal worries. Um, and I think like that kind of was like a little bit of a kick to start some of those conversations. I agree with that. Yeah. I even think of like the historical perspective, wasn't it? Um, Jess would probably know this more than all of us because she just has research in her head for like no reason. But, um, (laughs) in the seventies, wasn't there like deinstitutionalization where they were taking people out of like mental hospitals and then... Yeah. And then putting them in like like less. There we go. Yeah. Into society. So I think even, I mean, since then we've definitely been on the up in terms of stigma and all that stuff, but I do think there's like a long way to go, especially with men's mental health. I mean, there's just so much. Yeah. And we're always learning more about it. Mm -hmm. So like I think of my son and autism. Um, I mean, 20 years ago, I think our approach to autism was so different than than it is now and our understanding of what it is and what works and what doesn't work Mm -hmm. um, that I think give us another 20 years and I think it's going to look even more different Um, because I I, again I think social media I think is also like you know TikTok and people talking about it more you know it comes with its own you know areas but I think we're talking about it more. And when we talk about it, shame and guilt doesn't have space to grow. Mm. Yeah. I've, I've definitely seen a lot of shifts. One thing that comes to mind is even just acknowledging the shift I've seen in my work in the hospital over the past five years. Cause I remember, you know, when I first would go into rooms, like some families would be very much like, why is a psychologist coming like we're in a medical hospital. Do you think I'm my child's crazy? Da da da. They're not crazy. And I don't get that blatant of resistance nearly anymore, but I remember like practicing like how am I going to introduce myself like to destigmatize it. And now I'm just like, "Hey, Dr. Rabin, I'm the pediatric psychologist. The team wanted me to come jack- talk with you." And like people are so much more open to receiving mental health care. And I think within me, I've noticed like, you know, I think part of this is just our job and stuff. You get more comfortable, you talk about it more social media, things like that, but more willing to have conversations about mental health. Like with people in my life, I noticed that with my parents too, they're more willing to talk about things, extended family. So I I do think discussions are happening. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. My thought is, 
I agree with everything that was y'all said. And I still think in systems, in businesses, in schools, the vibe still very much feels like a cover your ass Mm -hmm. in regards to mental health versus it being true caring about making systems benefit our mental health. And like, listen, I think our school psychologists, school counselors, blah, blah, blah. But I think businesses are notorious of that of like, oh yeah, we're going to have our one therapist thing come in this quarter and the rest of the year, it's going to be toxic as fuck around here as we burn y'all out. (laughs) They don't say that part, but y'all know in corporate America. Some places probably do. Oh, they they might even say it as you're eating your pizza. They're like, we ain't going to lie. Your pizza. Here's your free pizza. Work (laughs) 70 hours a week. Thanks. Right, right. Exactly. But I think, listen, in Florida's educational system is hot trash. That's a whole episode to get into. But one change that I know is about to happen is for high schoolers, and I don't think it's nationwide. I think it's just Florida. High schoolers, it's going to be illegal in the state for them to go to school before 8 or 8.30 a.m., which is like, again, I can talk trash. I do often about Florida as much as I love certain aspects about being here. Um, But that makes sense. Mm -hmm. If you know anything about the developing brain, ain't no way we should be waking these kids up that early in the morning and shoving them in school. If you know anything about brain health, you would be like, it is a travesty how early we wake these kids up and think they're just being lazy because they're not ready to catch the bus. Some of them at 545 in the morning. Mm-hmm. Hell no. But th- that's just an example of system changes where you really have mental health or science in mind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I know a lot of schools too I, I, I are, you know, when I was in school, the idea of a mental health day wasn't like a thing. Mm-hmm. No. no. And I think we're starting to enter into like, that's starting to be like a thing and that and that's more of like a i would say like a parent thing too as well like of parents creating the space of like oh you don't have a fever you're not sick but you're still not like you can stay home take a mental health day Mm -hmm. take that take that time to kind of reset yourself um which did not exist when i was in when i was in high school it was you're going to school unless you're dying and passing out in math class with a 104 degree fever. It's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I even think like <clears throat> generationally things are changing too. Like I, I work with a lot of veterans, Vietnam veterans, and they're so willing to talk to me now about what happened to them, you know, in the military. And even just a couple of years ago when I worked at the VA or with the VA, I mean, it was even hard to get them to talk about anything, which I know it's very difficult, but they went through and all of that. But they're even saying like, I love therapy now. Like they're, they're Vietnam veterans in my mm-hmm. office telling me that. And I'm like, is this real that. life? This is incredible. Yeah. It makes me literally tear up after every workday because I get so excited about it. I'm like, you should be telling people what happened to you. You know, it was mm-hmm. stressful as fuck. Jeez. I can't even imagine. Um, So I do think even like older adults, maybe who weren't even socialized. I mean, like KBI said, we were barely socialized when we were younger to be okay with mental health stuff. And for them, you know, it's even, it's even more deep. Well, and I, and I think that there is, I can speak for myself and, you know, the, the messages that I get and, and things like that for individuals who are cycle breaking. 
So as, as a cycle breaker who came from a family, you know, of trauma, we didn't talk about feelings in, in my house. Um, you know, I, I grew up with my dad and my stepmom, great people, but we didn't talk about feelings. Um, and you know, now I talk to my kid about feelings all the time. Mm-hmm. I ask him how his day is and I actually want to listen when he's sad. I sit and I talk with him about it. I've literally said to my husband, if, if my son feels off for the day, he doesn't have to go to school. He can take mm-hmm. that day and reset himself. And I think that is, you know, a generation that's really happening right now with millennials specifically mm-hmm. of this healing aspect and pulling this into like their parenting and putting that into the next generation um, mm-hmm. and teaching that emotional learning that, you know, some of us didn't get um, and, mm-hmm. and being willing and open to having those conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Parents right now are doing such a good job. Seriously. Just like even teaching, like sometimes I'll be in the grocery store and I'll see moms and dads and just people in general trying to calm their kids down. Like, let's take a deep breath. And I'm like, Yes let's take a deep breath, you know, like let's regulate our emotions. It's so fun to see. Cause I, I, I love that. Cause I hear the counter I hear a lot is, and I've heard this from some very well-meaning parents is, are you afraid that if an adolescent teen or somebody has a diagnosis and they like harp on it, that it's going to like make it magnified or worse. Mm. Mm-hmm. And my response is related to exactly what you just said, K10, where it's like, only if they believe there are no interventions to help them or no one has educated them on the things they can do. Because I think that maybe is the only sort of negative that could come out of it is if you just sort of wear your diagnosis like a badge and you also write below it wear a badge of like, and there's nothing I can do. It's like mm-hmm. there's from therapy to other interventions, there's always ways that we can track, monitor, and try to even emotional expression, as you were saying, KBI, there's always avenues forward. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing to keep in mind. It might not take away my OCD, but it certainly can impact its rise and fall by staying curious and open to different interventions. And the science is always improving. Mm -hmm. Justin, I think you just hit on like another misconception of just like, there's nothing you can do if right. you have mental illness, if you have a mental health diagnosis. Cause I feel like a lot of times that belief among others prevents people from even like seeking out therapy because right. they're like, I don't want to be labeled, whether that mm-hmm. label comes with, like I said, the fear that nothing will get better or also like, what are people going to think of me? You know, KBI, I also grew in, up in a household where we didn't talk about feelings or like I hear from so many of my clients, you know, I can't cry. It's it's a sign of weakness or things like that. So I know those kind of stereotypes and misconceptions are still being perpetuated. And I do mm-hmm. think there is a lot of positive and change coming forward, too. Yeah, I even think it's completely valid. Like when people say like nothing can be done. I always agree with you guys with one small caveat of sometimes the system isn't made with certain people Mm -hmm. in mind. Right. So I think it, you know, with accessibility, like are there things you could do? Absolutely. Do you have access to those things? Maybe not. Right. So I think that's something important to keep in mind just as a nuance um, with that misconception. 
Yeah. Well, and that also reminds me of K10, just kind of thinking of stereotypes, misconceptions, you know, for different systems, cultures, things like that, you know, what has been told passed down in generations about mental health therapy may be very negative and may be very positive. I know we've mentioned this in some episodes before, but in some culture, like having hallucinations is a very mm-hmm. like spiritual experience in our very Western culture. It's very highly stigmatized. So I think, and then there's very valid things, you know, I think of, um, just how black individuals have been treated in the medical system um, mm. with the like Tuskegee trials and all those kind of oh things. And so it makes sense yeah. that people would be hesitant or have a very mm. negative or skewed view of um, mental health or any medical intervention um, in general. So I think those things are also important to consider when we think of stereotypes and misconceptions, obviously all four of us are, white individuals were looking through it with that lens, the lens of being mental mm-hmm. health professionals. And, you know, what we might think is a misconception in other cultures is not because mm-hmm. we're very westernized. Right. True. I, so I one think question once again, Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you go. Yeah. I was just going to piggyback again. It's like, there's, even certain privileges that come with being a therapist, working in mm-hmm. diverse places, living in diverse places, because it squashes even more ignorance for you. Yeah. And not only do you learn about the diversity within mental health, but the diversity in cultures. And of course, you don't need to be a therapist to dive into that and educate yourself. But it is. It's like I, I really believe it's a privilege to walk with people in their mental health and get to learn about their lives, their cultural background and all these things. And it's like all of us are ignorant on something like, of course, we are because it's just part of being human. You, you're you just always growing. But I think related to the conversation we're having, it's like you just want to stay open to it. And mm-hmm. I just know there's some people, maybe it's because they live geographically or just they're stuck in their bubble related mental health culture lgbtq it's like they're they're not having the exposure and the people around them are sort of amplifying that and that to me is the shame because i do think education and experience is the biggest quickest squasher of ignorance Mm -hmm. i love that yeah i was just gonna ask you all how you feel or think that like these stereotypes misconceptions impact people in general or maybe like help seeking behaviors openness to talking to people i think it perpetuates shame yeah Mm -hmm. i mean i think that's the biggest piece i mean think about um this past uh i think it was this past spring or this past winter in new england um there was a mother postpartum who was experiencing postpartum psychosis and uh, luckily was reaching out for treatment, but a lot of mothers out there, um, who experience things like postpartum depression, postpartum rage, post- postpartum intrusive thoughts, they don't speak out about it because of the inherent shame. And this is, that's just one example, but like mm-hmm. these misconceptions, like, you know, and these, and these stereotypes and these stigmas, 
when we learn about them, we then think that there's a fault in us mm. and, and keeps us and keeps us from seeking assistance because we inherently think we're bad. We inherently think that we are a terrible human. We think, we think that we be, we are dangerous because we have these, um, mm -hmm. whatever it may mm -hmm. be, which then perpetuates the internal shame. And what are the things that we don't talk about? The things mm -hmm. that we are shameful of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And those are the things that we need to talk about because they grow and grow and grow. Mm. Yeah, I think relatedly, I think a lot of people are afraid of the judgment from a mental health professional because yeah. that's related <laughs> to the shame. Exactly. And people are coming from backgrounds where that's what they've gotten mm -hmm. is that judgment. And I, the counter is I think social media is a good place to sort of see open conversations, accepting and like information. But still, I, I still see people and they're in my comments on some videos I make, even when I was like talking about body language and as a therapist, like you do notice body language, people mm -hmm. are perpetually afraid of being judged harshly or negatively. And it's like a lot of times when I'm making this content, I forget that because I'm so used to being like, oh, I noticed all kinds of shit, but like, I'm just attaching it to this is your experience. This is your narrative. This is your story. Mm -hmm. Like as a therapist, I'm not thinking you shouldn't be this way. I'm, I'm just curious of like, wow, what's what's made them be so guarded coming in, you know, to what should be a safe space like therapy. But mm -hmm. I see the, the fear of judgment from yeah. people, even it within, again, the safe confounds of like a therapy session. So that tells me there's a lot of work to be done on the outside. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think like if people have misconceptions, like the shame, like what everybody's talking about, I think they might even, I mean, further think like I'm such a burden, like I can't mm -hmm. be helped, like sure. there's something definitely wrong with me, right? And then they won't seek help or, or they'll say like, oh, it's just me. I just have to get over it. You know, the things that people tell themselves when they're experiencing shame, it's, it just, like KBI said, it just perpetuates that cycle of, of shame and just the mental health stigma itself. And I think when people have a sense of like, no, I think I'm worthy of being helped or maybe there's hope, you know, or something like that, then they might actually reach out. But to Justin's yeah. point, you have to hope that that therapist is a good one, you know, and doesn't judge you. I mean, there are therapists out there, you know, but at the True. end of the day, truly what we're meant to be here for is to create a space for non-judgment. You know, I, mm -hmm. I'm, I can't judge anybody <laughs> for their stuff that they're going through. And I'm sure all three of you feel the same because everybody has their own things going on. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think if you ever feel like you're being judged by your <clears throat> therapist, like call them the fuck out. Oh, yeah. Like, mm -hmm. have, like mm. do it. Like I had, I'll, I'll be honest. And I had a client where I had said something and they felt that what I had said was judgmental. And we had a, and they called me out on it. And we had a great conversation about it. And I said, I was like, my intention was not to be judgmental. It was to point out something, but I apologize for it coming across like that. And let's, let's work on repairing that because that was not my intention. But that is how you received it. And so that's not like that wasn't OK. That was because that's never what I want someone to feel in my office when I was doing therapy of like feeling judged, because mm -hmm. I know if I was sitting in that seat, I would not want to feel that either, mm -hmm. because that's an immediate for me, an immediate shutdown. Right. Mm -hmm. I think another 
worry concern that people have is, or at least I've seen this a lot, is that if I share this thing about me with others, not necessarily the therapist, but just in general, that people will like treat me different or look at me differently. Mm -hmm. Because if we, if all they know about, you know, depression are those stereotypes or, you know, they've made comments in the past about, you know, people with mental health concerns are weak. One, it's not going to be a safe space, but two, then, well, how are people going to perceive me? I don't want people to, you know, look at me differently, feel like I can't do X, Y, or Z because of these things. So I think like we've all been saying, just a lot of judgment from self, from therapists, from others, and worry about, you know, how people would perceive them. Mm-hmm. So I do not have a good transition at all. But I, had I, did ask, I did ask that question Same. to set you all up for my Google Scholar shorts. So I'm glad okay. it worked out. So my Strategic. the question I'm going to pose to you all is, how do you think stigma and stereotypes of mental illness impacts employer evaluation and hiring? Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. This is a juicy one. It should be, but it does. Yo, you know it does. Oh, this is yeah, a trick question, Jess. This is always a trick question. Listen, I, I don't blame people for lying. I'll just say that off the jump. Yeah. Same. I don't blame people one bit for lying. Yeah. Especially in corporate America. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. Good mm-hmm. luck. Um, so this was a really interested study. So if anybody's interested, I know we always link the article, but really read this one because I'm not going to even touch on like the vast majority of results. But mm. for some background, just so you all know how it was conducted. So there was 1,398 uh, fictitious job applications that were mm. submitted in pairs to 699 real job listings. And so Yo. the candidates had common names. <clears throat> Same gender, same age. They were all early to mid-20s, equivalent work experience, and same educational background. And then they both had a one-year gap in their resume. But one candidate said it was due to traveling abroad, and the other said it was due to mental health challenges. So they took off. So that's the background. I'm freaking out. <laughs> so we know what happens now. We know the ending. Yep. Oh, so, I hate it. Candidates with mental health problems had a 27% lower probability of receiving an interview invitation. Bullshit. Um, I hate it here. Common stereotypes revealed in interviews. Um, So I I missed this part, but basically like they sent out these things and then they had to like tell them it was not a real applicant, but then they (laughs) asked these jobs to like consent in the study as to like why they offered interviews. So some of the stereotypes include believing people with mental illness were fragile, sensitive, unstable, and unreliable. Uh, Two employers claim their masculine work environment. So that was contracting and factory work meant that people with mental health problems could easily be victims of harassment. There were several concerns raised about individuals with mental health concerns, inability to do the job with unreliability and unpredictability. So they were worried that people would like break down at work or not show up to work. And then the other result I'm going to highlight is four employers expressed intentional differential treatment of the candidate with mental illness due to negative expectations. And many employers describe mental illness as something private, taboo, and shameful. And those were like in interviews. 
I want all of these employers and I want to put them on a blacklist. But it's just, it's just not true though. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like people with mental health issues, it doesn't mean that they're always, it doesn't mean they're not intelligent. It doesn't mean they don't know how to do their job. It doesn't like, you know what I mean? It doesn't mean any of that. It means you're dealing with something and you're having a reasonable response Mm -hmm. to a stressor that is really hard to deal with. You know what I mean? Or something that could be just one reason, you know? And Um, and again, we wonder why people don't talk about it. And like Justin said, we wonder why people lie. Mm -hmm. I'd lie too. Shit. Just to nerd out for a quick sec on the methodology. Why Mm -hmm. didn't they choose like a better control like why mm. wouldn't the other control group have been they had a surgery that was a medical like oh issue. wow i feel like wow. a better control to highlight like people right now are just like shut the hell up no like, it's true research. no but, but that would, that would be more interesting mm. to me of like to really highlight the mental health well, not yeah. saying that the vacation study abroad person, whatever, isn't good. I, I think it's good, but it would have been more interesting to be like, look at the difference of how you that treat is. physical health compared to mental. Ooh. And maybe they were afraid there wouldn't be as big of one, that they'd be like, mm. oh, there'd be stereotypes. Of like, if you're physically sick and you physically have mm-hmm. this thing, can you do the job? So maybe that was it. But I would have been, I would have liked that as another control guru. I think that would have been great because I think you you kind of capitalize on the, the element of choice, you know, studying abroad. I mean, you have to get your college degree or your degree or whatever, you know, but if it's a medical surgery, that's like necessary, just mm-hmm. say, mm-hmm. I mean, you don't really have a choice, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. I will say the one yes. the one glimmer of hope I had in this, there was one job that only offered an interview to the candidate with mental illness, and it was for a kindergarten teacher. And I thought that was very sweet. Um, That's incredible. That's That's incredible. Um, But yeah, like, and like, this is a new study, like data, I think was collected from like 2020 to 2022. Like, it's not like this was old. So all those positive things we said about the change. You know, but who, and I don't know, but who were the people in charge of that hiring? You oh, know, I wonder I'm who say, they could be. I'm not going to say that they were from a certain generation, but I just am That's curious true. who they were. Because I don't yeah. think it was Gen Z who was doing the hiring. Oh, Gen Z would give, oh my gosh, Gen Z would give all of the, the positions to everybody with mental health issues and be like, I trust we're going to have therapy. Yeah. <laughs> just show up when we're you want. Give- you do the schedule that works best for you. We're going to give you free the- therapy. There's a sensory room. Just go chill. You know, it's just, it would be amazing to work for a Gen Z boss. Yeah. But no, I thought that was really interesting. That was a really good study. Thank Jess. Was a good thanks for blowing. Thanks for blowing our minds yet again this week. But the next thing is the polls, which I'm really excited about. <laughs> Yay! I mostly did true-false this week, just to keep it like easy, it. keep it simple with stereotypes. So I basically asked our group members, um, I, I listed a stereotype, and then I said, hey, do you think it's true or false? So the first one was, most people with mental illnesses are violent. False. True or false? Or, false. or not sure. False. 96% was false. Yes. 3% was not sure, and then 1% was true. I want to find the 1%. Let's not be mean. They were misclicks. Anyways, if that was you. They were just swiping. They didn't mean to click it. They didn't mean it. They didn't mean it. You can't get better if you have a mental illness, true or false. 
False. Yeah, 96%. 2% was true, and then 2% was not sure. Well, and I guess, like, how do you define better? Now I'm like, and this is nothing mm-hmm. that you can, like, like, how do you define no, you're better? Right. Do you define, because Justin, like you were saying, is it symptom improvement or is it elimination? Because we know, like, right. there true. are certain mental true, health true, diagnoses true. that are considered lifelong diagnoses. Sure. That does not mean you That's can what I was thinking. manage that. Is that the candy corn one? No. There was a candy corn, corn background. The amount of messages that we got about that background. About the candy corn background. Really? Yeah. Yes. I just did this to mess with you guys. <laughs> you and your fucking candy corn. And can I be real with you? I don't even like love candy corn that much. I it's just like, like to mess with you guys. Crayons. Like what? No, it's like, oh, I woke up today and you know what tastes good? A fucking Crayola crayon. Listen, they're, Stop. they're not as bad as the peanuts. Stop. The circus I, peanuts. Did you see the meme are? about the peanuts the other day? No. It was like candy corn gets a bad rep, but these guys, and it was a picture of the yep. little peanuts, go oh, yeah. every year undetected. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of stereotypes and biases about candy corn. But um, <laughs> the next one is mental illness is a sign of weakness. True, false, not sure. Our group members got that 99% false. Oh, good job. And then mental illnesses are all genetic. True, false, false not sure. False was 85%. Not sure was 7%. Okay. Um, and 8% was true. And I think to Jess's point from the last one, maybe, you know, there are some mental health issues with a stronger genetic component. So who knows? Okay. If you or someone, you know, struggles with mental health, what do you think people misperceive about you? Mm. We have so many good ones that it's all an act for attention. Mm -hmm. uh, That taking medication is the lazy way out. It's all in my head. I'm weak. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not aware of the irrationality that it doesn't impact my daily life when it really does. Um, that I'm incapable of growth, reliability, perspective, um, and I'm valued less and questioned more. Thought that was really on point. Um, 100% a choice. A lot of people are saying like medication is a sign of giving up. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think I'm always negative, guys? We got so many, and I'm just. If you listeners are here, I hope that you think differently about yourself because all this. It's not okay. Um, we're attention seeking. We choose to struggle. And then what was the one? Oh, that I'm not trying to get better. That was a misconception mm-hmm. too. So I think we're all doing our best. But those were the polls. Thank you all. We're, we're sucking on transitions tonight. I'm just so sad next. that my Celsius <laughs> yeah. is empty. I'm just, I'm just sad that my Celsius is empty. If I, you get another one, I swear. I want another one. So. No. It's, it's so <laughs> dirty by you. Stop. I mean, what? It's only... I, mean, I feel like all like all things we're gonna learn in like five years time that Celsius is like melting our DNA. <laughs> Celsius is actually two hundred milligrams. It's only two hundred milligrams of caffeine. Did you say milligrams? It has two hundred milligrams caffeine, and you just drank it. Yeah, two hundred. Yeah, I think like a melting. cup of coffee is like ninety. Ninety. It's like nothing. My pre-workout uh, is 300 and I do two scoops of it. So this is like So you get restful sleep or you just sleep? Like what is, no, what is it? She doesn't get I restful sleep. sleep. Have you seen I her? I get for perfectly fine sleep. You're just focusing on Remy's and not focusing on your entire sleep architecture. That's what's happening. But you have to works. focus on the big picture. Okay. But it works. <laughs> okay. okay. It works. But you know what else works? Our group member questions. questions. Yes. Thank you for giving me a transition. Oh, Jesus. Um, thank work, work, work. you all for your group member questions. We got a lot of good and a lot of variety this week. So 
We're going to start with Ashley from New Hampshire. We kind of already touched on this, but I wanted just to open it up again in case we wanted to add anything. But she asks, where do the misconceptions come from? I don't remember ever being taught bad things about mental health. Who decided to make life harder than it already is for people with mental illness? Who's been talking about Ashley? Yeah, yeah exactly. This is, yeah. Ask us. Ask them. Why the fuck is it harder? <laughs> You're asking the real questions. Mm-hmm. I know I was going to make life harder on Ashley and just admit I've never met someone from New Hampshire. I'm not <laughs> joking. So. Like, I, I, I don't mean to add to the misery you're experiencing, Ashley, but I had to pause and be like, do I know of a human from New Hampshire? And I'm like, I haven't thought about it as a state probably since I was in third grade trying to memorize those capitals. Okay. How do you feel about Wyoming? So over the summer, everybody's coming to Maine, and I'm going to take Justin to New Hampshire to meet someone from New Hampshire. I would love I've been it. To, I've been to New Hampshire so many times. In my life. I just don't. The way you said that, I don't believe you. But we'll process that later. Me? Your voice cracks. Massachusetts, New Ham- like all the states up there are like this big next to each other. Justin is like, I need to get all these behavioral observations and just call you out on it right now, right here, right now. You're so, lying, Jess. Some of us only live 40 minutes from a border. Unlike yeah. you, who lives at the bottom tip and takes. I'm forever. about 40 minutes from the equator down here. It's not <laughs> true at all. It's not true lot. at all, but it does feel that way. I'm, I'm right there in the Bahamas, which feels great. It's, it's right You're there. really but, close to the Bermuda Triangle, too, which is really fucking freaky, too close. actually. Too close. Yeah. But it all comes from ignorance, Ashley. Yeah. Related <laughs> to the ignorance I just put out there about your wonderful state, New Hampshire. We're and the, the ignorance really start. I mean, it dates back. It's like mm-hmm. it wasn't measurable mental health. Yeah. And I think we still struggle with yeah. that. And that's what it relates to now. I think physical health was there because it was more observable, more measurable. And we just believe things we see. But obviously, we've come a long way. We've documented patterns of these behaviors. And there's things we measure, of course, in the brain now. Like, we've we've come a long way. But it, it is interesting as a species. It's like, oh, we, we don't see it. Like, you must be a witch. But, like, that wasn't that long ago. It literally no. wasn't that long ago yeah. that that's what we thought. See, I'll also take you to Salem. Oh, yeah. that's on my list. Now, that is on my list. We next, have to. next summer. But that's the thing is like, you know, you know, a lot of these things like, you know, the Salem witch trials were not that long ago. That's that's yeah. The like the like being locked in a hospital and cuckoo's nest ECT stuff wasn't that long ago. Last century. Like Mm -hmm. the idea that, you know. I mean, I think we've definitely come a very long time, far in the last hundred years. But like, mm-hmm. I always joke that like I'm the kind of person they would burn at the stake. Oh hell yeah, they the, would. Like they would. Yeah. Like one hundred percent. Like you're done. You're toast. <laughs> you would be literally the first one she's out. burnt at the stake. She's toast. <laughs> yeah, she's toast. <laughs> but that's the thing is like like we've just come so far mm-hmm. but we still have so much further to go oh oh yeah mm-hmm. Salem next summer podcast so, that recording <laughs> live from the witch trials um, Darren from Edmonton Canada asks how do you think the increased awareness of mental illnesses due to social media has affected mental health stereotypes 
Part of me is feeling like it could go both ways. Katie, what were you going to say? My hope is that it's going more in the positive direction, Mm -hmm. but I also find that the stereotype of attention-seeking, I feel like is perpetuated by social media. Mm-hmm. I also think of like if we go back to our earlier discussions about like picking one or two symptoms that kind of are kind of hallmark for a disorder, I think we see that a lot on social media. I'm thinking primarily like ADHD. Mm. Like and you know, and it's not necessarily quote unquote wrong, but I think if you see certain mental health concerns being stereotyped with these two symptoms, then then that's going to perpetuate misinformation, things like that. Um, so I, I agree with what K10 said. I think it can be both good and bad and exactly what KBI said. I'm hopeful that it's more positive, but I do think it can also perpetuate some stereotypes. Yeah. So Jasmine from Nevada says there's still a lot of stigma surrounding taking psychotropic medications as therapists, clinicians, what are some ways that you can help your clients work through the stigma shame that they may experience? I just redirect it back to physical health that if you had high blood pressure, would you not take your high blood pressure medication to help manage that? Mm. The answer Mm -hmm. is probably, yeah, I would take it. So why is your mental health, any different Mm -hmm. i like that that's good parallel like it's i mean i just try to simplify it in that like not to down like obviously you know mental health is different in those different pieces like but at the end of the day like you're taking a medication either way to help alleviate symptoms that you're experiencing so you don't cause like damage right so Mm -hmm. with with blood you take that so that you don't cause damage to your heart Mm -hmm. you take a depression medication so like i'm gonna put it back on me like i took i take my depression medication so i don't cause damage to my daily life and that Mm -hmm. i can get out of bed in the morning and that i can go to my job Mm -hmm. um the damage between the two could look differently but like it's all the same at the core. Yeah. I think creating space and processing what they've heard is important to kind of offload that. But I'm the same way. I'm thinking it's just normalizing that like, then the way I would phrase it is what would you bet on to help you? Cause again, Mm -hmm. I'm biased. I come from, you know, the science research psychology background where I'm going to bet on science. Science sometimes gets some shit wrong, but I'm going to bet on science versus non-science every day, all day. And with the science and research we have, would you put your chips on all this data we have for thousands of people showing these are the results they get versus compared to, you know, in randomized controlled Mm -hmm. trials? I'm going to put my bet there. But I know when people are skeptical of science, maybe they come from exactly what Jess said, a background where culturally they have reason to be skeptical of science. But we want, I want people to be informed in their decision making and know 
there's no intervention out there that's guaranteed to work. None. The, right. the intervention does not exist. EMDR doesn't work perfectly for everyone. No psychotherapy, no exercise, nothing works perfectly for all people. I think with some of the side effects psychotropic medication can bring that it gets a horrible rap. But what you're not comparing that to is what would it look like to receive no treatment? That's the key. Yeah. And people aren't making that comparison. They're just like, well, this person lost their libido. And it's not to minimize that. That sucks. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, most people then they switch and they, they try another intervention. But to, for all the people who do not have like no intervention, you're not hearing them report what their daily symptoms are of like no medication. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's true. I, I sometimes even use the analogy too of like fast forward, like, 30 to 50 years and you look back on your life, if you were to take this one medication every day, you know, and the quality of your life would increase, wouldn't you want that for yourself? Mm -hmm. What do you want that for yourself? Would you want your quality of life to be better, you know, compared to not? Mm -hmm. And I, and even I say like, you know, the loss of libido is better than the loss of my life. Mm -hmm. True. For for me, like, I was, I was going to say, I, I agree in people shy away from those comparisons because they're uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but I'm so glad you said that because mm-hmm. this is the comparison that sometimes it really comes down to. No, I take, I mean, these, these are my medications that I take every day. One, one for my physical health and two for my mental health. And they get me through my day. They allow me to show up for this podcast. They allow me to show up for my son. They allow me to be a better mother, friend, partner, work, worker, therapist, all of that. Um, I had to go through that process of like, even as a therapist who's been in the field and going through that own kind of process of like, okay, I have to take medication. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I have to do it because doing it without, I may not live a life to be able to do it without. Mm-hmm. Right. The medication yeah. doesn't help you be less weird though. You got to find something for that. Straight up. I'm glad somebody <laughs> said that too. I know we were all thinking it. So, you know what, K10? <laughs> How about you go step on a Lego? How about that? <gasps> that's very not that's not very nice. <laughs> you Why did I feel you that was in my nice body? To- I felt I like that was harsher. I feel like that was way harsher. That's not very nice. Randomly too. I, I hope that you don't even ah. see it coming. Like your nephews God. aren't even at your house and they just it's accidentally just left one. Mm-hmm. If you team up with them, maybe and roll plan your this. knee over it. Maybe roll your knee over it. By oh, the knee on the Lego is like I'll the worst. Lego. Well, no, Justin, you probably have Legos. We're just going to plant Legos. them when we're, we're in Florida. And this is so great. K10 will never see it coming. No. <laughs> Somebody was driving a car listening to this just now and they flinched because everyone knows that feeling. They they they, they put their foot ah. off the gas pedal for a second and they're like they felt that in the arch of their foot for a minute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I my son uh my son has a Woody toy and mm-hmm. there was one time where I rolled my knee over his boot and I swear <gasps> to god if I saw if the if, if I, there was an afterlife, I saw it in that moment. You touched it. Because I 
literally had tears in my eyes. Why are kids' toys so painful? They're so painful. But serious question, KBI. Did you have more pain rolling your knee on Woody or hitting your knee a couple episodes back? Woody, that was Woody 100%. Woody 100% was worse than that because I felt that for days. I had like a purple bruise because it hit just where like that knee goes, like your little joint goes in. Oh my God. It's in the medical journals now. Yeah. Documented. So back to our group member question. (laughs) Olivia from Washington State says, how would you handle if your counselor is the one who stereotyped your mental illness? And then she goes on to share that she was having self-harm thoughts and her um, counselor said that she was suicidal, even though she wasn't called the crisis team and kind of just, you know, that that stereotype that if you self-harm, you're suicidal. So Mm. how would you all handle if your counselor therapist was the one that stereotyped? Olivia, I'm so sorry. That sucks. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. tough. I mean, I think it starts with that conversation with that therapist. Um, if you feel safe, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it might be that you might need a different one. I know we talked about this in the the suicidal episode. Um, you know, it's really hard when therapists are not fully, fully trained mm-hmm. in yeah. the spectrum of suicidality and, right. and and again where self-harm falls in that and that self-harm does not always equal suicidality um mm-hmm. because then that perpetuates the stigma it perpetuates the shame and it makes you not want to open up about it again yeah and this is not me justifying it at all because as soon as i was reading that i was like shaking my head i was like oh somebody Somebody is just missing the nuance and has a little bit of ignorance there on the professional side. And I have worked in systems that are so cover your ass that this doesn't surprise me. And I don't know in what setting you saw this counselor. I don't know if they were a counselor in training. I don't know the story and the details, but I'll just say there are many systems that operate this way. And it's unfortunate because I agree it perpetuates stigma, but those systems exist. If you yeah. have any self-harm thoughts, you're going through a full evaluation. And I, I'm not saying it's good, but I've seen those systems. Yeah. And I think in different settings, we have to adhere to different rules, right? I mean, you know, right. in different states. I mean, and I'm, again, whatever happened to you, Olivia, to me, it doesn't sound like... I don't, I don't even know. I don't know the broader context, but I think another consideration that KBI kind of touched on was like self-harm doesn't always mean that people will harm themselves and suicidal ideation, just passive, like, God, I don't want to wake up tomorrow. That doesn't warrant that either. You know, I mean, those thoughts happen for people all the time. Doesn't mean that they want to actually follow through with harming themselves, you know? And I, I think to everybody's point, I mean, when I was a green therapist, I could even think like the, the minute my client said suicidal something, I'm like, Oh God, you know, like, what do I do? Um, and then once you get more ver- well-versed in it, you're like, Oh, okay, we could talk about it. And it's not going to actually make it worse. Contrary to a lot of the stereotypes out there. So Kellyanne from Texas asks, how can I share that even though I function in my daily life, I am still deeply affected by my depression and PTSD. 
I mean, I think this kind of goes back to what we were already talking about. Some of those stereotypes of what mental health conditions look like. Um, and for me, I mean, I always say like, nobody is privy to information unless you want them to be. But if this is a trusted person, um, hopefully they will listen and you can share your experience with depression mm -hmm. and PTSD. You know, maybe ask them like, what is your understanding of depression or PTSD? Um, what would it be like for you to know that I actually have both of those diagnoses? Cause I think mm -hmm. a lot of times if people aren't super familiar with any mental health diagnosis, they're getting their information off of movies, TV, all those stereotypes. And then they meet somebody face to face and hear their lived experience. And they're like, Oh wow. Like that's not what I conceptualized at all. Um, so I would say start with like a safe person, start with somebody you trust and just start the conversation and say like, this is how it affects me. This is how it shows up for me. Um, yeah, I think we said start the conversation a lot in this episode already. Yeah, I just want to normalize it. That just feels like a big risk because there's mm -hmm. part of me that's like, you're going to learn a lot about that person depending on how they respond. And that's not easy. It's not easy to accept that they may be carrying stereotypes. They may change the way they look at you. And unfortunately, in a long enough timeline, there was likely going to be something that they were going to judge, judge you harshly on that was going to reveal that. So I think the people we keep closest to us, they do tend to be open, flexible, or curious people and at least try to understand what we're experiencing exactly like just said. So Jillian from New Jersey asks, what misconception or stereotype do you see the most common for clients to struggle with when gaining help or striving for treatment? So if I'm understanding correctly, like what is the most common stereotype or misconception that we see around getting treatment, being in treatment? That you're just weak and you can't do mm -hmm. it on your own. Mm -hmm. I noticed that with a lot of my male clients to echo what Justin said, they'll come to therapy and be like, I don't want to be here that long. I just want to get over it quick. How quick, how quickly can we get the hell in and hell out of here? Like, I just don't tell anybody. And I'm like, I can't like I'm a professional secret keeper. I take this stuff to the grave. Nobody will know. Not even your partner promise, you know, like, um, but it's, it is a big risk, you know? So I do think a lot of, at least the clients that I see who are, who are male, they might say like, you know, um, I wonder what my friends would think if I was here, you know, things like that. And I think it's, it does affect, you know, treatment, you know, and I mean, the, the rapport building phase for, for them in my, just in my own experience is a little different because they have to trust me, you know, they're not going to tell me anything. So, um, and when they do, it's like the most beautiful thing ever. Um, because then they're talking about emotions and they're talking to their buddies about emotions. It's just like amazing to me. Yeah. I do see the quick fix people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All the examples in my mind are manner. But uh, I also see the people who definitely believe this is just the way I am. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like they're without one. that hope, which I do feel like is part of my responsibility as a therapist to instill hope and show them there are things we're going to test out and try that are going to be different. And they are likely going to make you uncomfortable because they're different. But until we go down paths and try new ways of being, new experiences, we don't know 
we don't know what's going to be consistent or change or ebb and flow. But I think that's where the rubber hits the road in therapy is we're going to try new things and new things can be scary, but we're going to, we're going to live differently because the way we've been living and I relate to this every time I go to therapy, something's not working for me. And so I got to explore and I don't always know what it is I have to change, but I've always ended up shifting or changing something. Mm-hmm. One stereotype or misconception I see, and this is probably very niche given that I live in the South is that a lot of people believe like they didn't pray hard enough or like, like something is like from a religious perspective, like they're not a good enough Christian, typically, obviously there's other um, religions down in the South, but primarily, and I see that a lot, or that was a barrier for them seeking treatment. Like I work with kids and teens. So maybe their parents first like sent them to a Christian counselor or a pastor or things like that. And, you know, viewing through that religious lens, I've had to work with a lot of people and on deconstructing those beliefs. I'm like, you can still be a really good Christian and have mental illness. You can pray as a coping skill and prayer may not quote unquote cure everything you're going through. So that's definitely one I've seen a lot. So Laura from the Netherlands and Taylor from Georgia asked similar questions. So I kind of wanted to group them. So Laura asked, how do you deal with your own misconceptions about your own mental health? Because sometimes I know that what I'm thinking is not true, but I still can't let go of them. And then Taylor asks, how do you get over the self-imposed stigma and judgment and accept that you need help? So basically, how do you work through these own internalized misconceptions and judgments. This is where I think having a diagnosis is helpful. Like for me, I'm like, oh, this is my OCD. And then it pulls up and opens this like file drawer of, you know, like what is this topic of OCD and like, what can I expect all these things? But like, even as a therapist and a mental health professional, like I catch myself having these disturbing, violent thoughts. And I'm like, yo, what the fuck is wrong with me? Like, I'm like having this dialogue walking in the gym yesterday and I'm like, I'm disturbed. Like, and this is something I deal with all the time. And I'm literally like, bro, you are down the rabbit hole and you were in this the whole car ride to the gym. This is your OCD, man. Like you didn't sleep last night at all. I'm going through my factors. What are things that might be contributing to this? You're stressed out. You got this project on your plate. But like for me, that's where going back to the label helps me get above it of like, it's not me. This is my OCD. Mm -hmm. I'm getting pulled down into those intrusive thoughts right now. And I immediately feel myself rise above because then I, I can go turn towards the things that I've worked through in therapy or think about things that might help me in the moment. I happened to be at the gym yesterday. So I was like, likely by the end of this workout, I'll be feeling just a little bit better. And then I was, but this is where I think having the label and the diagnosis can actually help us. Mm -hmm. For me, it's like I have skills and I know all this stuff. So why can't I just get over it? You know, like I know all the techniques, like every evidence-based treatment for this, like, why can't I just get over it? Like I actually, I've, I've talked to myself that way for quite a bit, for quite a few, few years. And my therapist was like, 
you're doing the thing that all clients do, like stop, you know? Yeah. I'm like, you're, you're right, but it's different because, and she's like, no, it's not, <laughs> no, it's not, you know, that's where you're wrong. And I had to like really kind of work through at least the misconception that, um, psychologists and therapists and people in mental health, like, yeah, we all struggle, but I feel like I should be better at working through it. But really it's, I'm having a reasonable response to something that's really hard, you know, and she always goes back to saying that and it helps put in perspective. So what helps me is going to my own therapy to kind of work through those things too. I think it can also be helpful to ask yourself like where this is coming from. Like I know a few episodes back we talked about like, you know, those core beliefs and, you know, is it your voice, that negative self-talk or is it someone else? Like, so are you judging yourself or holding the stigma misconceptions because that's what you were taught? Um, or is it kind of going off K what K10 said? Is it like, well, I should know better or I should, which is a cognitive distortion I'm bringing in last week's episode. Um, but I think getting curious to take Justin's term about like where this judgment and stigma is coming from can also be helpful. Yep. So Wendy from Florida with an exclamation point. Let's go. She um, said it while wrestling a gator. Outside Justin's window. Those are iguanas. I got I literally. If there is an iguana in your yard when Yo. I am there, I swear Bro. to God, I'm going to punt kick it into the next house. I don't think people understand when I say I have an entire generational family of iguana that lives. Absolutely not. One family lives in the front yard. The other family lives in the back. I'm talking grandma, grand my cousins like people don't get it when they come out off the palm tree line it's like a herd no. i'm gonna take a video i'll post it to my story because i know people are like yeah okay you'll see okay well wendy from florida after she wrestled a gator submitted this question wrestled the gator wrestled wrestled the gator can people truly recover from mental illnesses or is it a matter of finding the right coping mechanisms treatments and living with both the mental illness and the means of coping i think all of the above mm -hmm. i think for some people right you there are certain diagnoses that it is that it is a lifelong diagnosis um I think for some people, it is a lifelong diagnosis that you can learn to cope with and manage. Um, kind of like um, Dr. Courtney Tracy had talked about on the Borderline Personality episode, where you can learn to cope and regulate and, and process to the point that you no longer meet critical, clinical criteria. You still may have it, but that you are in a place where you don't meet clinical criteria. Um, and then there are other things that, you know, you can get to a point where, yeah, like you can kind of say like, yes, I'm recovered. Yes. Um, I'm in a place where this no longer affects me. Um, yeah, that was more eloquent. I was just going to say, it depends. Like we always say, but yeah, exactly that. Um, so this one was interesting. Anonymous from anonymous. We don't know where they're from said. So I saw a doctor talk about how psychiatric diagnoses appear in your chart by your name. So for example, you go into surgery and it says name here, psych diagnosis here, example, borderline personality disorder. And I don't understand the point of that. What does the BPD have anything to do with any medical treatment I would need? Also curious how that's not HIPAA violation since random doctors shouldn't be able to access my information. 
my first thought is it might depend on the setting. You know, if you just say a lot of your providers are in a hospital setting, Jess could talk more about this than me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would assume that those records are kind of all lumped into one chart. I could be wrong. Um, at the VA it was. So yep. if people were even coming in for therapy, I would be able to see their active problem list of like diabetes and stuff like that. In my mind, for me as a mental health professional, it was helpful because I'm like, okay, if they have diabetes and maybe they're looking a little pale or something like that, then I could at least know in the back of my mind, like there might be a medical concern. When it's the other way around, you know, I'm, I'm really not sure, you know, I'm still kind of actively working through that in my mind, but I could just think of the opposite at least um, as mm-hmm. a start. Yeah. So, I mean, I can speak for my hospital system. If you see any provider within the hospital system or technically anybody that uses it, we use Epic that like you can look care everywhere. If it's on your problem list, it's automatically going to generate in the EHR. So if you're, you know, seeing a private practice therapist that is unrelated to the hospital system, your diagnosis should not show up. Um, And to your question of, you know, the point of it, it's, it's kind of just a byproduct of the electronic medical record. I think, you know, times where I can think it has been helpful um, for like people I've seen in the hospital, if somebody's coming in for a surgery, but they have a history of depression or anxiety, that might trigger a consult for me. So if there is, you know, pre-surgery anxiety or like complications post-surgery, they're going to be more likely to consult me because they know that this individual has a higher risk of maybe feeling anxious after the surgery or, you know, struggle more than say somebody that doesn't have baseline anxiety, depression. Um, With regard to HIPAA violation, at least within hospital systems, if people are co-treating at the same time, it's not necessarily a HIPAA violation to see your diagnoses. Now, True. I can't go like tell somebody else. K-10, you look like you have a thought. Yeah, because I was thinking, I was just reflecting on my own experiences this year because I've had several surgeries. I was open about, I have, a, yeah. you know, I had, I, got, I just got cleared from my doctor, but I had a bunch of medical issues. Um, and when I was going in for the surgery, they did list anxiety as one of, mm-hmm. I mean, that's something I'm diagnosed with. It was so helpful though, for me personally, because they actually asked like, do you feel anxious right now? I noticed in your chart, you know, there's anxiety. Are you anxious about medical stuff? And it actually opened up the conversation for me to feel way better about the procedure and all that. But maybe they would have said that even if I didn't have anxiety in my chart, I, it's hard to say. So. But I can also see on the other hand, how like BPD or maybe a more stigmatized sure. mental health concern oh, yeah. would do more potential harm. I agree with good. that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So Kyla from Idaho asks, how can I feel validated in my mental health struggles without an official diagnosis? I mean, it's, it's something that you're experiencing. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I mean, at the end of the day, it's just valid because you're experiencing it whether you have a name to it or not, um, right? You have a stomach ache. That's just as valid. It doesn't, like, you don't have to call, it doesn't have to be a stomach disorder to have a stomach ache. Um, It's just valid because you're experiencing it. 
Yeah. Dropping wisdom. <laughs> you are. That's it. Mic, mother, mic drop. <laughs> um, so I'm gonna put Justin on the spot for this one because I feel like he's gonna have big feelings. So anonymous from Go Lions exclamation point. I don't know what Lions is. What are some ways to set boundaries to protect mental health or prevent burnout in the workplace when your company celebrates World Mental Health Day as a holiday, even though all of the clients you work for do not, but seems to forget about mental health existing the other 364 days of the year? <laughs> do, you, do you work for a community mental health agency? Yeah. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Hey, how about those Lions, though? Sporty mixed sports. They're having a great year. This is Detroit Lions professional Detroit, football. Okay. I feel like since all y'all, minus maybe K10, love Taylor Swift, now you love the I NFL. I was about to be like, how about those Kansas City Chiefs? Taylor Swift's boyfriend. I NFL. I just I don't so, watch the Detroit Lions. I don't know if anybody saw the Jets versus Chiefs for any sports people out there. Of course right? I watched so, it. So in mean, my opinion, like the Jets should have won. In my opinion, oh, I'm not a Jets fan. It's a bogus not a Jets penalty fan. at the end there. It, it was, right? We could all acknowledge that. But I feel like the Kansas City Chiefs were distracted because Taylor Swift was there mm-hmm. as anybody would be. It's Taylor Swift. Like, you know what I mean? No. So plus, like, like Taylor's putting us on the map. But Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, like, Lively, Ryan Reynolds. Like, it, was totally. a, it was a solid suite up there. Like, let me tell I'm you. Like, Everybody my, likes the Chiefs now. My favorite part <laughs> is like hardcore. And I see this and I found like a lot of stereotypical like NFL meme accounts. Mm-hmm, me too. Just like yeah. 95% dude. And there's so many dudes who are losing their mind over this. Did you see this? With coverage. Like they are yes. so angry about Agree. it. And mm-hmm. I get it. They cut to them a lot. But listen. It's like for at, two seconds. Everything, like, though, comes down to money. And uh-huh. trust me when I tell yeah. you, if it didn't impact money, they wouldn't be doing it. But it's impacting their money. You know you know who should, we should talk about when it comes to football? The Patriots and how much they suck this year. They do suck this year. <laughs> it's been due time. It's been due it time. It is for so... We watched the... I'm not even a Patriots fan. But I want... And it was embarrassing. Oh, this like, is what damn. everyone roots for the almighty to fall. If you're not a sports fan, when it, when somebody's good for too long, you're just, oh, it's like, you're come just, on, can you yeah. just kick well, a rock and fall over and be they, they, with the rest of they us? Kicked a boulder and broke their kneecap. That's yeah. what they did. Oh my gosh. But back to anonymous. Those are sporting mix sports break right there. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, this is where I think coworker relationships are like lifesavers. To have that person, and if you do, I'm saying if you have that person that you can go to and be like, isn't this bullshit? Yo, that has kept me afloat in systems like nobody's business. Because I get it. It's easy for me on the outside to be like, you go to your HR and you, and hey, I've lived that life. I've gone to HR and found myself on a life raft alone. And it Mm -hmm. made my life worse in that system. So, like, I get it. It's always easier for someone on the outside to tell you that you should change the whole system and risk how you pay your bills. Oh, okay. That's all. But, no, this is where I feel like having a work friend, bestie, having friends outside of work, 
to like vent this off with is so important because it's so damn hard to change systems, especially ones that it's clear to see it's just about the money. Yeah. It's all bullshit, yeah. the values mm-hmm. they present. It is mm-hmm. money. And we need money. I, I'm not stupid. We need money. But you know what I'm talking about. The ones that are driven by money yeah. and have no values as a foundation, you ain't changing that. Mm-hmm. Mic drop. <laughs> I need to get a mic drop sound effect, I guess. It's a good idea. Because we've had a couple of those. Okay. So... The last question comes from Robin from Iowa. Um, And I am going to edit this a little bit because I will fully admit when I read what was said, it triggered me. So I just, yeah, so I'm just going to edit it. But um, Robin says, I was a nurse caring for a patient who attempted suicide. A physician stated something extremely stigmatizing and inappropriate. Um, I've seen this kind of attitude from other people in healthcare as well, saying they're just doing it for attention. How do we make sure doctors and nurses get the proper education on mental health so they can treat people with empathy when they are at their lowest? When I worked in primary care, a lot of the conversations that I would have with other physicians was like, I know you might not know what to do do with this because you may not have been trained as much as we were, but at least have empathy. You might not understand it, but like, let's, let's like actually talk it out. Like I'd, I'd be happy to talk it out. And I think it was like talking about stereotypes and having at least mental health people around. That's not always possible though. You know what I mean? And I think it really starts with Justin's point, like the education and all that. I mean, I think at least my friend went through an MD program and and they were mentioning they had like one psych rot- like a very brief mm-hmm. psych yep. rotation. Um, and again, it's not all that they do. You know, they, they do a lot of different things than we do, but I do think it's important for them to get educated. I just don't know what that would look like. Yeah. I mean, and med school is already really packed. You're correct. They do like one psych rotation and then yeah. unless you're going into psychiatry residency, you don't. But the reality is as somebody that works in a hospital, even general peds, family med residents run into suicide attempts, mental health concerns, things like that. Um, so I think, you know, residency having didactics on it because they're required to do. I mean, at least in my hospital, the residents have uh, like a, I don't remember what it's called, noon conference, even though it's not at noon, which always throws me off. It's at 1230 and it bothers me. <laughs> But like where they talk about a different like educational topic. So I think integrating that, I know my hospital has like required trainings each year that we have to do. So I think having, you know, a training on um, suicide assessment. I also feel like there's certain, so like ED docs probably are going to see suicide attempts more than maybe, I don't know, a cardiac surgeon. So like, especially kind of prioritizing the um, areas of medicine that would see those more. Because um, to your point, K10, yeah, they're, they, they're doing so many other things, but just that human connection makes a difference. And if somebody says something really stigmatizing to you, you're not going to want to go back to that hospital or that place. Y'all, thanks so much for being here, as always. A little reflection question for you, which Jess helped me out with. 
What is the mental health stereotype that annoys you the most? Makes your skin crawl. Keeps it makes you just want to squeeze a pumpkin with your bare hands. Tell me, you just bare hands. Or bare hands. Bare hands. I do mean B E A R. People knew. They knew by the way I said bare hands. Um, we're, we're glad you're here. We're approaching one year of this chaos. What? No wow. one thought we were gonna make it. Nobody did. I mean, a lot of. A lot of y'all out there were like, this is going to be 10 eps and then be done. But you're still here. You're still listening. We got a little live Ask Us Anything that we've already recorded by the time you hear me saying this right now. But whoa, we're stoked for you to listen. If you didn't catch it live, you're going to listen to it right on here next week. So we're thrilled for that. Drop this in a group chat. Share it with someone. Uh, you know, tell your mom, I, I couldn't figure out a way to send this to you, but give it a listen and uh, educate yourself a little bit. And we're going to see you. <laughs> the fuck, Justin, just wrap it up. We'll see y'all next time. Bye. Therapy, peace. Peace. I hate everything.